Hello, hello out there. Here we are again, coming to you from Broadcast Team Alpha. And, you know, this is the show for the thinking global citizen that is not afraid to step outside of the box and look around and see what's out there. There is really interesting things out there. And you'll never know unless you step out of the box sometimes to try to find those things. And uh, yeah, my name is Augie and my co-host Nori is on vacation still. And uh, and we're coming to you from about 40 different platforms all over the world. And uh, because we are also transmitting through the wonderful platform of the Cosmic Awakening Network. And because of them, we are also transmitting on Roku, three TV stations and a bunch of other places. So check them out on the Conscious Awakening Network. Uh, they got about I don't know, 45 different shows there from absolutely uh, from one end of the spectrum to the other one and all kinds of things that you just can't live without. So just go visit them. And uh, before I introduce the guest, I want to tell you how also we can uh, you can connect with us. You can connect through broadcastteamalpha.com and uh, you can send us a message there and we'll get back to you. If you are watching on YouTube right now, please subscribe and click the bell because that way you'll get a notification when the next video is coming out. And uh, that is also the best place to watch because that's the only place where we monitor and we can answer your questions on the, uh, on the, in the chat room there. And uh, otherwise, uh, just uh, if you ask questions, put them in capital letters and we'll see if we can get to them. Uh, maybe Mac can help us out on this one because I only get, uh, you know, two ears and one mouth and a couple of hands. So I can't get to everything. And uh, one more thing I want to tell you about. Nori and I put together a spiritual think tank. And that is where we do some incredible things. It seems like sometimes we create out of seemingly absolutely nothing and things happen because we found out how to communicate with the unified field or the universal mind and it listens. So if you want to have a look at what we're doing and be part of something that is absolutely bigger than ourselves, send us an email to themastermindconnection at gmail.com. I'll send you some information. I'll send you a link so you can come and uh, sit in and you can be part of a session that we do where we do communicate with the universal mind. And uh, we do, we're getting good results, tremendous results, both in abundance and healings. And it happens just about every time. So just come and check it out. And now I'm going to uh, introduce the guest for you. And uh, this is going to be very special because we have an extraordinary, unusual guest. And here is why. We have Michael W. Hall with us. Now, he is also known as the paranormal lawyer. He's an attorney. And you can ask, yeah, I, I ask that too. How in the world did a, an attorney 
get involved in UFOs and extraterrestrial research. He must be a little different, and you're going to find that he is. He's also a doctor of jurisprudence and former Superior Court judge. He's also been a UFO field investigator for 49 years, a long-time consultant to MUFON, that's Mutual UFO Network. And also he's an attorney for National UFO Reporting Center and the National Aviation Reporting Center of Anomalous, uh, Anomalous Phenomena. And uh, that's where most pilots report their sightings, because uh, I think that's the only one they know about. Pilots don't get out much, you know. <laughs> he is he's also an examiner, uh, <clears throat> an experiencer himself. And he's the legal counsel and advisory capacity for very high profile people within the UFO and the extraterrestrial field. If I mention their names, you would all know them. So um, beyond that, uh, I want to welcome Michael to the show. Welcome. Augie, thank you very much for having me on this uh, sterling show. I really enjoy what you do out there in the world. So. Matter of fact, I often thought that if ever you or my and myself teamed up as a uh, a paranormal team, we could have taken everything by storm by now. <laughs> <laughs> I love storms. <laughs> yeah. Just not when I'm flying. That'd be all right. But oh uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I uh, I do have a beginning question, but. Before I mention the beginning or the first question, I want to tell the listeners what we're going to hear a little bit about today. We are going to hear about the government document or documents, maybe more than one, that absolutely beyond any kind of question proves that, yes, UFOs are real and the extraterrestrial presence is real. Governments are talking to them many different governments and also we're going to talk about what we are to expect from here on i'm going to bring up that and the two of us will discuss that one a little bit because there are some similarities in the way we think and what we have researched and uh, for those of you that want to know a little bit about what we can expect here and also talk here about the government documents that prove that the government's been lying to you. It could get interesting. All right, here, here's the first question for you. Now you're an attorney. Actually, you're, you're a lawyer. Um, I don't know, there's a difference between those two, but we're not gonna go there. <laughs> the, you're a lawyer and what in the world happened to you somewhere in your past that made you become interested in UFOs and extraterrestrials? There's got to be a story behind that. I'm all ears. Okay. Well, Augie, it is, it's not really a, a dramatic story, <clears throat> like a sighting when I was like five years old or, you know, entities appearing in my room, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, as far as I remember, by the way, I, I have not really been regressed hypnotically in that regard. 
but uh, one day maybe I should. Uh, but the whole idea of my interest in UFOs predates uh, my becoming a lawyer for many, many years. It started out as a kid. You know, um, I grew up in uh, New York City, uh, Augie, uh, uh, in Manhattan on West 121st Street. The same, actually, my next door neighbor was an older guy in the in the neighborhood named George Carlin. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, and, and this was, you know, uh, an interesting neighborhood by Riverside <laughs> Church and and uh, Morningside Park. You know, this is our maybe George Carlin nicknamed our neighborhood later in life when he became famous, White Harlem. That's where I grew up as a kid. Uh, and, you know, of course, on Saturday mornings, we would get our 25 cent, you know, uh, uh, you know, allowance and go down to the local uh, corner store and spend like an hour or two looking through the comic books. And then, you know, finally they kick us out and, t you know, we'd have to buy one and, and we'd leave and but I started out with the Superman comic books, you know, Green Hornets, uh, you know, um, Flash, all those wonderful, you know, ideas of, you know, strange life coming from other planets, <laughs> you know, and 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 coming down here to Earth. And then, of course, I graduated uh, into the uh, dime novels, you know, the mm. 1950s contactee books, you know, George Adamski, George oh, Van Tassel. Yeah. You know, they, these guys were way ahead of their time coming out and casually uh, telling everyone that they have uh, become friends with local uh, people on the planet who come from uh, different, uh, you know, uh, next to the cosmos like Venus and everywhere and Saturn and stuff. So um, I was always interested in that. For some reason, I just gravitated to the idea that uh, we might not be alone in the universe. Yeah. Uh, then, of course, when I grew up, I, I was just always fascinated with the stuff in college. As I, I mentioned to you, I became a field investigator for uh, APRO, the Aerial Phenomenal Research Organization, based out of Tucson in your neck of the woods there with Jim and Coral Lorenzen. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of the beginning of my really uh, becoming serious and looking at what's going on. Uh, I went to law school in California, by the way. I went to mm. uh, Southwestern University uh, and got my law degree. But, you know, as soon as I graduated from law school, I I always started this pro bono kind of work on the side of helping my fellow researchers and friends in the field of ufology uh, in their basic legal issues that they came up with. Typically, they have NDAs they got to sign and someone has a contract they want to give them to appear on a television show or or they need to create a, a nonprofit uh, corporation and those kinds of things. And, and of course, we'll talk about, you know, the disclosure trust and the various trusts that I've done over the uh, years as well, as you're well familiar with. Um, so anyway, I was always doing that on the side uh, with a general legal practice. Uh, and mm. I've always enjoyed that. So, um, you know, when I became a Superior Court Judge Pro Tem doing settlement conferences for the Thurston County Superior Court, uh, that was a little bit more staid and dried compared to my UFO yeah. pro bono work. But but I enjoyed that as well, meeting people and uh, coming up with problems that had to be resolved. But uh, now that I'm retired, I'm 71 years old, 
uh, just a spring chicken as far as uh, what you tell me, but thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy doing what I'm doing now. I'm literally uh, spending a lot of full time writing books. Um, we can talk about some of them, you know, and, and yeah. uh, work, working on a brand new one now that we might want to discuss as yeah. well. But yeah. uh, that's kind of how I got started. It's a long story, but there you go. Yeah, there you go. I uh, I want to touch on both of those things, uh, especially what's coming out in the new book that you're uh, putting together. And I think that's going to be a uh, thing that is going to be absolutely necessary. But I want to ask you first, you pro the way it sounds, you've done more research than I have. And you found something called the core secret transcript. And that is basically the smoking gun of that government's been lying to us because they known about ufos and extra beings for a long time P speak to that please oh thank you Augie. Uh, that was a great intro by the way thank you for giving that to me here <laughs> um my client uh what you know i've, I've represented uh, researchers and ufologists and people in the field for almost uh, 50 years now uh, or not, actually since 1988, so it'd be like 35 years. Mm -hmm. um, but my my client, Grant Cameron, who is the the ultimate uh, UFO researcher, we, I call him the mole. I mean, this guy, uh, since the 70s, has visited almost every presidential library in the United States, uh, finding out what the presidents knew or should have known at that point, about UFOs. Um, and so he's always been doing the research into archives and et cetera. Um, at one point uh, in, this would have been June of 2019, I receive a encrypted text on my phone, my iPhone. Now, I don't know about you, Augie, but I have never really received an encrypted text and I had no idea what this was. I'm going, oh, man, do I need to eat? Should I even open it? You know, is this going to be like one of those collection agencies looking for something that I haven't paid or whatever? Uh, I decided to finally get down and open this thing up. And it was from my longtime client, Grant Cameron. Grant Cameron is a Canadian researcher par excellence in the yep. UFO field. If anybody wants to look at him, look him up. Uh, and his his cryptic text was this, Michael, I'm just about ready to drop a major UFO bomb, and I need to run it by you as the paranormal lawyer. <laughs> and that was it. That was the text. Now, I hmm. get on my phone right away and text him back. I even phoned him and left a voicemail and emailed him as well. I said, Grant, uh, I'm here. Uh, let me know what you need. Um, and I was totally confused, but I figured that something that amazing from Grant Cameron has got to be pretty uh, interesting. So Big I'm team, waiting yeah. to waiting to hear from the guy. Now here's the here's the real interesting thing. Nine days go by, Augie, and I don't hear a word from Grant. And I'm thinking, oh my word, this was Grant's last gasp you know, to try to get word out to someone that he knew and trusted before they off the poor guy, you know, they got, they kind of, oh. th this, this would have been so big potentially that, uh, you know, they, they got to him. 
Anyway, I finally get a hold of him, and he literally, for the next hour on the phone, tells me what happened. And if we've got time, I'm going to go through the story of how Grant Cameron came across the smoking gun memo of all time that proves the existence of aliens, spacecraft, and the uh, you know the uh, reverse engineering programs that the government is doing. So what he told me was that uh, he was at a conference and he was doing his his spiel like he does and people come up to him after the conference typically and want to talk with him and one gentleman came up he didn't know him at the time uh but he said mr mr cameron i have a document that i think you need to look at and of course grant is is a pretty busy guy he was about ready to get on a shuttle flight to go to another conference and speak uh, again so he said can, can you email it to me i don't have time to look at it and uh the gentleman's name was james rigney from australia and he was a ufo an amateur ufo researcher he's he's also uh, a very good architect as well but uh, he he's an amateur ufologist and he says mr cameron i just need five minutes of your time and he showed him grant the very first page on a little iPad of a document that made Grant Cameron's face go ashen, he said. He said the, the, the blood drained out of his head. That he, locked, he looked at the first page of this document, recognized names, recognized unacknowledged special access programs that only he really knew about because of his research over the years. And he said, where did you get this document? And this James Rigney says, well, a friend of his was a friend of Edgar Mitchell, the Apollo 14 astronaut, yeah. who had died a few years prior to this and had literally left multiple banker boxes full of documents in his estate. And his family didn't really, they're not interested in this stuff, this, you know, all this paperwork wanted to get rid of it and james rigney's friend and also an australian uh decided to take the uh boxes off the family just to kind of get them out of the house for them and they were sitting around this uh, australian's house for a year without anyone even looking at them and james rigney found out that his friend uh had these banker boxes and said uh, you know this is edgar mitchell's paperwork i would love to go through it and so he did and james rigney being a ufologist himself and knowing what to look for came across a memo that literally blew the socks off of disclosure this document is purports to be a meeting between admiral thomas ray wilson mm -hmm. who was at that time j2 joint chiefs of staff second in command in charge of all the intelligence departments of the military you're talking air force navy army you know uh, uh marines uh coast guard all the intelligence departments of the military uh was underneath this this admiral wilson and his meeting was purportedly with uh eric davis the long time a uh, physicist that has been involved 
in the background in uh, the military and industrial complex uh, issues regarding UFOs and, uh, and the paranormal. And for an hour and 20 minutes, these gentlemen met in the Admiral's staff car behind the EG&G building in Las Vegas, Nevada at McCarran International Airport and talked about what the Admiral was able to do in finding out about these interesting special access programs being run by um, private military contractors. And this one military contractor, which will go nameless because he would not name them at the time to uh, Eric Davis, uh, literally uh, had a group of gatekeepers who was keeping the lid on what they were doing. The Admiral got some uh, some leads from uh, actually from uh, Stephen Greer, uh, the, uh, the, the, the physician uh, ufologist yeah. himself, who literally did a, a Pentagon briefing with Admiral Wilson in 1997, uh, along with Edgar Mitchell, uh, Commander Willard Miller and others, uh, and, and literally gave him some leads uh, the, that the Admiral finally followed up on and was able to get this meeting with this unacknowledged special access uh, committee. This group uh, literally at one point, I'll, I'll cut a long story short, but uh, after a lot of haranguing and the Admiral saying that uh, it's been a mistake that you haven't briefed me on what you're doing because I am in charge of all of these special access programs that the Pentagon is is running, and uh, I haven't heard about the details of what your pro your process is. The admiral thought for sure that they were a program probably hiding uh, underneath the term of extraterrestrial, that were probably reverse reverse engineering, um, you know, a techn technology from Russia, China. Uh, or earthly technologies that have been crashed and trying to figure out how they work, warheads and, you know, spy craft and all that stuff. But in reality, after a while, the gatekeepers finally spilled the beans, told him that, no, uh, we are actually a reverse engineering program dealing with technology of not of this world, they say, not made by human hands. And that's in this 15-page single-space memo that confirms the bottom line, confirming that the military is in possession of a working spacecraft that can travel through interstellar space, uh, through um, our atmosphere, of course, underwater, and through dimensions. That's the confirmation in this memo. Yeah. And literally, they are confirming that Roswell, New Mexico crash happened, the retrieval of alien bodies, both dead and alive, of the uh, reverse engineering prof process that has been going on behind the scenes in black ops for generations, uh, and the fact that uh, they are in possession of multiple crashed spacecraft. Now, this is a document literally that confirms everything that we've already been you know uh you know researching and knowing about for years as ufologists but it's the first time that there has any ever been high level confirmation 
of these issues well well before even uh, David Grush and the Senate and the and the uh, the congressional hearings that just recently happened. This was a document on paper that proved it all. Let me ask you this: This phenomenal. Uh, did this? front page of that document have any stamps or classified restricted eyes only or anything or did it just slip through the crack <laughs> let a paranormal uh paralegal like yourself come up with a question <laughs> like that that is perfect because i'll tell you what that is one of the first things that i asked grant cameron when he uh gave me this text and we finally talked over the phone Grant and I were trying to figure out, indeed, will we end up being uh, given a free one-way trip to Guantanamo Bay <laughs> if we mention anything about this document that we have it in our possession? And literally, we had it for six months trying to vet it, uh, trying to figure out what to do with this document before it actually was leaked to the public. But there were no classified uh, stamps uh, this was a document that was from a private citizen, uh, Dr. Uh, Eric Davis, from a private conversation that he had with the J-2 uh, Admiral Thomas Wilson after he was retired. So it was not classified. It was amazing. That's amazing. Wow. That, that <clears throat> This is one of the many that is out there. But the others, they have been classified. This won't slip through the crack, obviously. Yes, and uh, as you well know, the classified documents are are kind of being leaked, you know, uh, drip by drip to the public, yeah. you know, from the, <laughs> the FBI, the CIA, you know, there's been actual classified documents talking about these issues for decades. And now we're finally seeing, the, they're seeing the light of day. Uh, yeah. My client, Grant Cameron, was literally one of the people that uh, came across a memo from the 1950s uh, from a gentleman by the name of Wilbur Smith from Canada, uh, who uh, literally was able to get a document out of the United States confirming that UFOs were the, highly, the highest classified issue in the, in the United States at the time in the 1950s and it was even classified higher than the atomic bomb uh yeah. you know process at the time um mm -hmm. so uh, literally these documents have been out there and um but there has never never really been a high level confirmation in writing like the admiral wilson uh eric davis smoking gun memo of the century and by the way that that term uh, was coined by Richard Dolan, the UFO historian. Uh, mm -hmm. When that was uh, released, I finally was able to get a copy of it to Richard, uh, you know, in, in June of uh, 2019, uh, when he broke that story himself as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th this is really something. And uh, it verifies actually another document that uh, I dug out, and uh, that was uh, I had it for probably twenty five years now, twenty years, and that is uh, on the. It was released by the FBI, and that is a document where they say, uh, it's it's a memo actually, 
uh, FBI memo where they explain that uh, the extraterrestrials that was found at Roswell, they were, of course, three foot tall, big eyes, I mean, a big head and um, three long fingers. And they say that uh, explain what they were like. And that also coincides with another document that I've had for about 30 years. And that is something that hardly anybody knows about. And that is one from the South African Air Force. And people can research this by, uh, I don't know about Google, but use another one. The Kalahari Desert Crash in uh, South Africa. And because here, here's the... The front side of this document, that's what you're looking for. And in there, they explain what the pilots and the people in the extraterrestrial crash that they found that crashed in the Kalahari Desert. They say that it came in to the atmosphere over the South Pole, went north towards South Africa. And they saw them on radar, so they tried to contact and nothing worked. So they sent up two uh, Air, Air Force fighter jets. And uh, they tried to contact the craft and that didn't work. So they had authorization to fire on them. And they did. But what it also says in the document is that they were fired by a Thor 2 Maser cannon. That is a piece of weaponry that has been poo-pooed throughout the whole weapon system or UFO arena. They say, oh, that's just something they made up. No, it isn't. It's in the Air Force document. Thor 2 single-faced Maser cannon. You can Google it if you like. You get and in there, they were able <coughs> to decipher. The language, <laughs> excuse me, here is something that explains the language. Oh, my. See the, the goofy sig uh, symbols? Yes. It's an interesting document. And uh, if you don't have it, I'm going to send it to you because you need this one. Because there is, they also said that when they did the autopsy of these uh, individuals or things in the craft they found that yeah they were about three foot tall two big heads and eyes and stuff but they were closer to a plant in physiology than a human now that Isn't that interesting is, yeah it's all in the document you, you should uh, research um, this one was declassified after a little bit, but we got it while it was classified. We got it from a Jesuit priest in Switzerland because he happened to be in South Africa when it happened and he was kind of in on it. So uh, we got it and uh, we didn't really dare to do much with it because we knew it was classified. But until uh, a good friend of mine that works at a He's a UFO investigator in Omaha, Nebraska. He told me, don't worry about it. It says nothing's going to happen. Just blow it out there. And and we did. But hardly anybody knows about it anymore. So um, it proves. Well, well, well thank, God for, thank God for legal beagles like yourself <laughs> who are able to get these documents out into the open. And, and I no. am just salivating 
to get my hands on the document and look at it myself. So thank you for that offer. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll make sure you get it. And I see now that we're down to the bottom of the hour. And for those of you that joined us late, we are talking with Michael W. Hall. He's a UFO investigator, and they call him the Paranormal Lawyer. So uh, you can find him on Facebook uh, under Michael W. Hall. He's got a lot of good information and stuff on there you read to see. So... Uh, <clears throat> Let's go on a little bit further. And um, about 1998 or so, there was a movie that came out, actually a video that came out, The Alien Autopsy. And I've, it fascinated the daylight out of it when it came out. Can you talk a little bit about, because I know you know things about that that most people don't know. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's a fascinating story um, to go way back uh, to tell about how this kind of thing uh, surfaced initially. Um, uh, my client, Grant Cameron, the Canadian researcher, uh, amongst some of the other things that he dug up was an email thread from um, a Dr. Kit Green who was a uh, literally guy at the CIA who ran the weird desk, they called it back in the old days. Uh, Dr. Kit Green was actually a medical doctor. Uh, and he had uh, an email thread that, that Grant came across and found in one of the archives when uh, Dr. Green was talking with um, some of his other fellow NIDS uh, uh, board directors. And that is the National Institute of Discovery Science ran by Robert Bigelow. And they were talking as board members back and forth regarding the alien autopsy film that uh, Ray Santilli from England had uh, put out there and, and famously made some uh, you know documentary uh, productions out of. Uh, this email thread uh, literally was talking about the fact that um, the, the people on the board of directors of NIDS had seen the alien autopsy film, and they were talking amongst themselves on what they thought of the film. And uh, Dr. Kit Green at that time and some of the other NIDS uh, board of directors were saying, you know what? I have seen a, a, a documentary film uh, with this same kind of footage uh, in the past uh, at the Pentagon. That's how this whole thing kind of started out with Grant Cameron going, well, maybe this is not a hoax. Uh, maybe this thing is not just a uh, commercial venture by Ray Santilli. Uh, so what happened was uh, we got Ray Santilli on the phone. Uh, Grant Cameron and myself uh, did a podcast back in the old days. It was probably, uh, oh, 10 or 15 years ago by now. Uh, about uh, what he was actually trying to portray here in this alien autopsy video that was all over uh, television back in the day. Uh, and literally, we pinned him to the, the bottom line, because uh, I won't make this a long uh, scenario here, but uh, the idea was that he, he actually confirmed this was a recreation that he came up with, uh, with, uh, you know, 
vintage footage and uh, simulated footage, but that he had actually also interspliced within his recreated footage, real footage of the alien autopsy that supposedly happened uh, in Roswell, New Mexico uh, from 1947. And that's the bottom line that he says that, yeah, okay, this is a recreation, but in reality, we got a hold of through an old army videographer who was uh, on duty that day filming this alien autopsy. And of course, uh, most of the film had been destroyed, but some of the uh, footage that uh, they uh, were able to save was put into this new alien autopsy movie. So um, mm. I don't know what to think about the whole idea, but uh, literally, if you got some people from the NIDS board of directors confirming that they've seen something similar you've got ray santilli confirming that he literally found some uh, old recovered footage from 1947 and used it in his recreation um these kinds of things lend me to believe that there's some uh truth to this entire e event um yeah. and of course we probably won't know the bottom line uh you know at all but uh, but uh, hopefully it's something to conjecture about I personally think that it, uh, if not all of it, most of it is actually real, because I think it's part of that that drip in indoctrination that dates back probably 50 years all the way up to our slow form of education all the way up to disclosure. I think it good is po part of that. Good, good point. I think you're right. All of this as you well know, Augie, being in this field so many decades yourself, um, all of this is slow, dripping disclosure. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, my bottom line is, is that I believe uh, there's there's a reason why it's been happening so quickly late, lately. I believe we probably have been given a deadline on this planet. I think the powers that be have had their chains pulled at one point yeah. saying, if you don't do it, we're going to do it. You know, maybe even the ETs will do it themselves. So I don't, I don't think it's going to be very long before we actually get uh, that that first domino tipped over is going to do the whole yep. thing. Yeah, absolutely. I I think so too. There is another issue that is uh, was very interesting, and that is what uh, was called Operation High Jump. <laughs> and uh, I seen some video footage that actually at one time was on YouTube and I can't find it anymore, but that was <clears throat> Admiral Byrd went to the uh, to Antarctica with a f armada of airplanes and ships and 5,000 soldiers and he got beat the shit out of himself down there so he limped home. But there is a video footage that show round circular flying discs flying over the ships, shooting at the ships with some looks like lightning bolts. And could you speak a little bit about what you know about this? Because this is real. It did happen. They tried to get rid of whatever they thought was at base 211, probably the Nazi base down at Antarctica and that's as much as I know, so it's all yours. 
Well, you, you, you're you very well up to speed on this, Augie, and it's just fascinating. You know, this is the same Admiral Byrd, by the way, uh, who literally, now this is the Antarctica, you know, expedition. He literally went to the North Pole himself and flew over the North Pole, um, you know, uh, initially before this. And that's when he first came back with these amazing stories that he was telling that there were actual UFOs that he in, uh, encountered in the North Pole and literally a, brand, a beautiful um, tropical uh, place up in the center of the, the top of the earth, supposedly, that uh, didn't have any ice or anything like that. And it had a, a race of people up there as well. So yeah. all of a sudden he goes, you know, he gets uh, a lot more uh, people together. Uh, and and goes on this major expedition to the South Pole in Antarctica. And uh, it's amazing to think that the reason we really heard about a lot of this was his son recovered supposedly a diary that he wrote. Uh, and by the way, his son, Admiral Byrd's son, was one of the officers in Project Blue Book for the Air Force's UFO investigation program uh, back in the 60s and the mm. 50s. This was Admiral Byrd's son who was into this also, of course, because he heard about from his father. But he recovered this diary that basically said, in Admiral Byrd's own words, how they went down there with a whole armada, as you mentioned, of ships, battleships, airplanes, by the way, uh, you know, off of the uh, ships themselves, the aircraft carriers. And literally, from what I gather, as you mentioned, were sent back home with their tails in between their legs because they had uh, met with alien spacecraft. Well, they think it was alien. Actually, who knows? It could have been even a breakaway civilization that went down there you know, after World War II and potentially even the Nazis and uh, put together uh, an organization that uh, might even be living underneath the Antarctica continent. Who knows? But that is just something that was clamped down so quickly. Uh, matter of fact, I even saw Admiral Byrd on some talk shows in the 50s. I don't know if you've seen some of those old footages yeah. and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating how he is trying to recount what happened during his expedi expeditions, and of course, you could tell that he was hamstrung by what he could say on the air back in 1950s, but uh, he was quite sincere at the time. Yeah, and he talks about the land beyond the pole. So there is something there beyond the pole that we're not yeah. told. Well, you know, we've always heard that... Uh, Antarctica is almost a, a, a mountain of ice until you can get over it. And then there's a whole new area that we haven't yeah. even explored. And matter of fact, they don't even let you go there. They won't let you fly over it nowadays. Even the military is restricted from flying over that area. Yeah, and uh, I, I know because I looked into this, uh, you know, I'm a pilot and the area where the North Pole is supposed to be at the top of the world is restricted airspace. At the South Pole, 
where the South Pole is, is restricted airspace. You can't get in there without having government permission. And guess who that government is? United Ooh. States. United there you States. go. Yeah. And I know that when you fly from, let's say, from the uh, United States to Tokyo, you can actually fly over the pole, they tell you. But they won't let you fly over the pole. You fly around the pole. Nobody can be allowed to fly over the pole. So <laughs> there is stuff going on here. And, oh, this is... This particular story is very interesting. I'm going to take 45 seconds and tell you. I've been sitting around in pilot lounges around the country a lot. You flew people out, you're waiting for them to get done and fly them home. But I got in Kansas City one time, the pilots of the Concorde, they came into town and they parked and the, the, the three, three or four pilots was in the pilot lounge with me and we got to talking. And of course, I can't help it. I have to bring up UFOs. And uh, two of them, they were very interested. And I I talked about the, the um, hollow earth. And one of them, I got to talk about that and he said, wait a minute, he says, this could make sense because when we fly over the pole, they fly over there a lot, going from continent to continent. He says, I look out the right side and you can see a little bit of curve going up, like convex. When I look out the left side of the cockpit, there's a little bit of curve going the other way, con oh my. cave. So I always wondered, why is it different on the right side than the left side? If there's a hole going into the center of the earth on the left, it could make it look like a hole, couldn't it? Exactly. And, uh, oh my. yeah, so this is what's really puzzling. But I think afterwards I discovered by thinking about it that I think they just confirmed to me that there's something there. You can't fly over the pole because there isn't any, but you can fly around the inside rim of the hole, and that's what they call the North Pole. Oh, anyway, my goodness. That, yeah. So uh, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good... I see where the clock are running on us, but I want you to talk a little bit about that new book that you're putting out, because I think there's going to be a lot of religious fanatics are going to need that book when they see the sky is full of ships and they're not all demons or jinns. Yeah, well, that's uh, I appreciate that intro, too, because I would love to be able to tell you about what I'm working on. Uh, the book is called UFOs and the 21st Century Church. Um, you know, I, I've been a faith-based guy. Uh, my entire life. I was past <clears throat> vice president of Puget Sound Christian College as well. Um, and I was always the kid in Sunday school that'd be asking the weird questions, you know, what's up, what's up with all these giants in the Bible and these, these witches and, you know, all of the strange things that you can read. Matter of fact, I say that the Bible itself is probably one of the most paranormal documents 
that we have here on this planet. Uh, literally, if you get into some of that stuff, you're being going, wait a minute, this stuff has been going on for millennia, not just uh, since the 1940s here on the planet. But uh, what I thought, thought is that uh, literally when disclosure happens, as it is right now, uh, the church is going to have a difficult time at one point. We're, they're going to be uh, facing a paradigm shift, I believe, that is going to be earth-shaking uh, to Christian-based and faith-based believers. Uh, mm. And my feeling is, is that if we lose the local churches <clears throat> on the corner, the Baptist church, you know, the Methodist church, the local pastors who literally hold the fabric of our society together, uh, we are going to be in bad shape as a society ourselves. So this book is my uh, humble uh, attempt at trying to bring to the fro uh, information to help Christians and faith-based believers get over the coming paradigm shift that is swiftly happening on a daily basis right now. Yeah, and this is not just the Christians. The Muslims, they're going to be just as confused because not, not everything out there is a jinn. There, there's yeah. got to be something more. Well, and, and if you go into the Old Testament, you're talking about, uh, you know, Muslims and Christians and, and uh, you know, all sorts of religions stem from, uh, you know, our father Abraham completely. So who knows, you know, what's going to happen when yeah. this thing uh, hits the fan. But uh, I tell you what, um, I don't know that there's anybody out there uh, attempting to do this kind of thing, but I'm thinking ahead on definitely what does a post-disclosure world look like, and I think uh, the faith-based believers are going to need some help. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, And also what we were talking about earlier was the documents that prove that the government is lying to us, and uh, you wrote a book about this. Let's talk about that book a little bit also. Well, that's thank you. Uh, that's the one called Core Secrets. Um, yeah. It's up on Amazon, and it's uh, about this uh, smoking gun memo uh, that uh, Grant Cameron, per, uh, you know, found or got uh, given by this uh, uh, James Rigney, the Australian, and the fact that this document, fifteen pages, single spaced, uh, is a, a transcript of the meeting from Admiral Wilson, who basically spills the beans you know, in this regard, and confirms all the things that we've uh, known and researched as ufologists over the decades, but no one has been able to get any confirmation of. So, yeah, it's, it's, that's the book called Core Secrets. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, in there, you're going to find out a lot more than what we were able to talk about in this short interview. And oh, hopefully, uh, thank you. Yeah, and uh, one more thing, though. Um, every, I think a lot of people in the UFO field, they heard about when everybody was trying to storm Area 51. <laughs> now, you were there. <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I was the only full-time field investigator reporter uh, that was uh, podcasting live for five days from uh, the little alien, Connie uh, Connie West's 
a beautiful little bar out there in yeah. the middle of nowhere in Rachel, Nevada. Uh, and literally the world showed up in the middle of nowhere for five days. And it was a phenomenal experience. I, I kind of equated it to um, Woodstock for the baby boomers. It was literally that way. Uh, literally people from around the world uh, came there, slept in their cars, slept on the ground because it was the middle of the, 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 the summer. It was beautiful. You know, even at night, the bonfires were awesome. And of course, the big event happened at the back gate of uh, Area 51 at 3 a.m. in the morning on the 21st of July. And that was an amazing event where uh, there was kind of uh, been rumored that there was going to be a storming of the gate at that time. And everyone was supposed to meet and uh, and uh, see what they could do. In reality, what happened was I was amazed at the camel dudes because they were trained somehow uh, how to deal with a crowd like that. And literally, the bottom line was they befriended uh, the uh, ufologists wanting to storm the gate. And literally, it became a love fest. And we were taking selfies and uh, talking with these young, uh, you know, uh, officers, literally, uh, and camo guys that were there uh, trying to keep people appeased on what was going on. Yeah. It was quite an event, I thought. <laughs> That's good. That is good. Now, yeah, I see we got uh, five minutes left, but there is one thing that is close to my heart that I know will help a lot of people if they understand what we're going to talk about next. And that is how to protect your property. Now, you're a lawyer and you have been helping people set up trusts. What you are calling it is that the disclosure trust or the whistleblower trust. Now, not everybody out there is a, is a whistleblower, but this will apply to everybody. I know enough about trusts to know that if you have everything you own put in trust and you die, nothing will happen. No probate, no nothing. It all goes to your family. If you don't have a trust, it'll go into probate. The state will take half of it in case of Roy Rogers case, they take <laughs> 90% and it is gone. The state takes it. So listen really close to what Michael can help you do. Well, thank you, Augie. Um, gosh, uh, with your experience as a paralegal and knowing how trusts work, I think it's fascinating that we need to get to people and tell them that they should talk to their local lawyer, their estate planning uh, lawyers, paralegals, <laughs> on how to protect their assets, because that is a big deal. When you uh, die with a will, you literally are placing yourself before the state and uh, basically coming with uh, transferring title to your beneficiaries or heirs uh, that you name in the will document. But there is a long process. Typically, in my state of Washington, the probate process is 22 months, almost two years. So, you know, it takes that long. You've got to hire a lawyer typically to get through the process because I tell my clients, it's almost like divorcing yourself from the world when you die. Uh, literally, it's a process. Um, yeah. And basically what I have done with my whistleblower clients like Grant Cameron, et cetera, 
is create a docu uh, a trust document where they put their uh, secrets, their artifacts, their documents in this trust, and literally um, they don't own it any longer. They can protect themselves and their loved ones uh, from uh, possible harm by saying that if anything ever happens to them, this trust has a dead man's trigger and it's gonna be uh, published around the world. But the same thing with probate. Uh, if people want to avoid the cost, the delay of potentially estate planning um, <laughs> succession, they call it estate succession, they should talk with their local para paralegals like yourself and, and lawyers. Yeah. And uh, I've heard so many horror stories about people that die intestate or they uh, die without having even a will. Because look up the definition of will in Black's Law Dictionary and you're going to get scared. It's not a good one because, in fact, you don't even own your property. You are the tenant. If you yes, have a mortgage, you you're the tenant. And yes. uh, there is a way that even if you have a mortgage on the house, you can still put it in trust because you put your equity in the trust. And if you fall behind on your mortgage, the bank come and say, okay, we're going to take your property. Then you tell them, fine, go right ahead. But you, you don't own the equity, so pay me off first. And they don't want to do that. So they're going to come back and say, oh, let's refinance for the lower payment so you can stay in the house. <laughs> I think okay, you know that. that well, there you go. And, and, and not, not that we're going to give legal advice tonight. You know, obviously, we're getting, we can't do that. But this is something fascinating for people to think about, for sure, yeah. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I would uh, repeat one more time where they can find your books and uh, maybe also let them know when the new one will be out, because I couldn't see it on uh, Amazon yet. So let us know a little more. Well, thank you. Yes, um, you know, they can always look on Amazon uh, dot com for Michael W. Hall. All of my uh, books are up there. I've got uh, 24 books and short stories that people I think would be interested in. Uh, the new one I'm hoping will be out by Christmas. That's my goal is to get this thing up by December sometime so people can maybe uh, look at it and potentially give it as a gift if they would like. So that's my goal and deadline right now. And I'm furiously working on it uh, as we speak. So thank you so much for that opportunity and for the opportunity to be on your show. I have wondered and wished to do this for a long time. So thank you. Yeah, th th this was fun. And yeah, get it done by Christmas because that will be a great Christmas present. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And uh, I think there is, um, yeah, we're out of time here shortly. I have a favorite question that I like to ask the guests. And I didn't tell you about this because I wanted to blindside you. So <laughs> uh, the question is, if you could talk to the whole world and the world was listening, what would you tell them? Oh, I love that question. That's fantastic. Um, I would I would tell them that uh, that we all need to raise our consciousness thinking and go deeper inside ourselves. 
uh, if we're looking for answers outside of ourselves, uh, from a religious institution, uh, from a guru or anything like that, really, as Jesus was saying over and over again, it's all within you. You yeah. are the source of the knowledge you need to know. We need to concentrate more on that. And that's what I believe is our future here on the planet. That's a good advice. That's good advice. And uh, there are always people. If you don't know where to go, go to YouTube. Look up videos by Greg Braden, Joe Dispenza, Bruce Lipton, Sadhguru, Arjen or anybody else. Because they may, in their video, you may find a pearl. Mm -hmm that can lead you to the right path. Sometimes outside influence that solidifies inside knowledge. Very good, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being with us. And uh, gosh, this was fun. We have been listening to Michael W. Hall and we were talking about uh, the government document that prove the UFOs are real, extraterrestrials are real, and a lot more. So if you joined us late, go back and listen to the first part. There's good stuff in it. <laughs>